coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. I am joined remotely by a colleague and a friend. He's an economist, a warrior, and a father. Ariel, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Thanks, thanks for having me. That's, that's quite a, a bunch of labels. I'm not sure they all apply. I will sort that out later. How have you been, man? Good. How are you? Oh, you know. Soon to be dad. Soon to be dad. You've, you've already been there. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. So that should be cool. Um, yeah, normally when I ask someone to, to come and, and talk on the show, um, I'm, I'm like, oh, hey, you know, send me like something you've been reading that's been interesting. You sent me like homework. You sent me homework for my show. I apologize. I, you asked for a couple of things and I, I you know. No, it's good. They're not that, not that much, really. It's just, you know, some regular blogs I, that I, I read and some other things that I probably should have brushed up on that I thought were interesting. <laughs> no, 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 it was good stuff. So I didn't get through all of it, but I listened to some of it. I read some of it. And uh, th- these were the key talking points from all of these various different articles. And let me preface this by saying I, I enjoy talking to you because you make me feel conservative um, in terms of my pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> so I think I'm going to enjoy that tonight. But this is this is what I got. And uh, from all the content you sent me, and it adds up to this worldview uh, that the banks are teetering on collapse due to these hidden gambles. Um, private equity is ravaging American businesses like Financial Locust using the same uh, style of, um, of uh, extortion as uh, is used in the restaurant in the Goodfellas. Correct. And the idea of America, America is still an idea in dispute. And the question needs to be asked, who has the wealth? Is it the people who buy the shit, who have the money to buy the shit? Or is it the people with the means to produce said shit? And at the end of the day, with all of this wealth, does that even matter? Don't we all deserve a decent life? Well, of course, the last part. We all deserve a decent life. Well, that seems to be in dispute, right? That seems to be, it's like, not, not even are we guaranteed to have a decent life, but now we see that there's various people who are not even guaranteed to have a life. And that's why we're having just like the broader conversation about whose fucking life matters, right? Yeah, that is that is a hundred percent the case. But that's been the case for entirely too long. And I would hope that as a civilization, we're although it it, it obviously is not the case. I, I thought that maybe we were getting to the point where that could be a possibility. Yeah, but uh, doesn't seem to be. But it should be, right? Yeah, giving people a decent life. I mean, the way I see it is with um, wealth just, you know, being siphoned up to that that uh, 1% and uh, wealth being made up there at an unprecedented rate, um, there is just no way for uh, the rest of us, as they automate all of our jobs, um, they're either going to have to give us enough like internet and free food uh, and allow us to just stick our dick in the matrix and have fun, um, or they're going to have to kill us. Yeah, and I, I think that when it comes down to it, they're happy to kill us, which is why we have to kill them first. <laughs> and that's 
that's the kind of comment where I make you seem conservative. Exactly. You know, it's funny, you know, it always just seems to get down to this point, which is like, I'm optimistic that I'm like, hey, maybe the corporate overlords will be like, oh, it's easier to just sort of pay them off by paying their cell phone bill and giving them free seamless tokens and Uber Lyft rides whenever they need it. And, you know, and a few kind of uh, uh, tokens to the arcade of life, a sort of corporate welfare. They, they can either give that to us just to keep us happy enough to not realize we're unhappy. Um, I'm optimistic that they can just cut that deal. And so the people like, like you and I who actually want to do something and don't just necessarily want to sit around and stick our dick in the matrix uh, and suckle off some teat, uh, you know, we can work on our mile time and write the next great American novel. But you just seem to think that they'll just be like, no, it's not worth the inconvenience of feeding these people. Let's just stick them into some sort of meat grinder. I think, I, I don't know that it's 100% that. I just think that when it comes to a point of them maintaining their status, mm -hmm. their wealth, and yeah. others perhaps coming for it, mm. they will do everything within their power for the most part, which even comes down to coming genocide for it often right genocide I mean, right yeah i mean in a certain sense i see what trump has done as a kind of genocide right being an inadequate leader mm -hmm. is already close to 140,000 deaths that's multiples beyond what happened during 911 oh and, absolutely i mean we're we will near and probably exceed certain world war levels of death for the country and for the world. We're on pace. I mean, we lost half a million guys, God bless their, their soul, during World War II, but we're on pace to, to losing at least that, if not more. Unfortunately, I think we will lose that, if not more. Oh, by, yeah. by, by, by the, obviously not you know, by the end of the year, but by the time vaccines are developed, if, if ever, or if we uh, reach herd immunity, it's cost. I mean, it's just yeah, a race I, to the bottom. The studies coming out are basically saying that herd immunity may not be a possibility for this particular type of uh, virus. Well, they tried. They bet on that, you know, in in England, Sweden. in Sweden, Johnson. You know, some of these these European states, they they went for it and they tried to do it, and it didn't work. The only thing that really works, it seems, is just to tell people to stay the fuck home. But we can't, you know. Well, we I mean, it. we we could we could have right. I mean, they could have instead of giving one point seven trillion to corporations, right? They could have perhaps meted that out more slowly across the entire population. Mm -hmm. They give three hundred billion to the people, so to speak, right? And basically, uh, payment checks that seem more like a buy off for the next election than they do yes. to actually to pull uh, bribe. It's yeah, it's a, it is a poll bribe. That's why he insisted on having his signature on it. Yes. Oh, those <laughs> letters were great. Dear America, if you're like me, you love money. I love money. It's great. I love looking at it. I love spending it. I love wasting it. I love rubbing it on my ass. Okay. So that's why I'm going to give you some of my Donald Trump dollars. You could spend it on it you want as long as it's from America, but made in China. Okay. Right. Printed in China. Printed in China. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. I mean, oh, well, the, the question at the end of the day is even, even without Trump there, right? Even if Biden becomes president, 
mm-hmm. what course do we actually head on? Is there really a difference between the Republican and the Democrat Party other than the 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 veneers, right? So the veneer of we care about people and we we give a shit about this, you know, these identity politics on the left or at the end of the day, are they both kind of the same? We love capitalism. We don't care about the little guy, really, as long mm-hmm. as politicians in power maintain their power, corporations maintain their wealth, banks maintain their place in society. Well, all you have to do is look at the results. Are the results any different if you have a Democrat or Republican in? Is it still just a small group of plutocrats that make all the decision, a small oligarchy of corporate feudal overlords that are still in the room? It's the same people in the room. You know, it's not like when you, quote, drain the swamp, unquote, and a new party comes in. It's not like all the people who have all of the wealth and the manufacturing and the ability to make money and products, those people don't change. It's still the same people. So Biden and Trump, they're going to be doing business with the same folks. Uh, Maybe not exactly the same folks, but the same type of folks, perhaps with different you know, mild leanings, but in general, the same folks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not like wealth or power transfers because the uh, presidency transfers, right? At the end of the day, America is a business, at least the way it's run now. Um, And like I always say, like Obama coming in and everyone expecting him to like shut down Guantanamo and end all of the wars and provide universal health care to everybody. It's like, you know, you can't just go and turn Imperialism Inc. into a different company. It's like that Mitch Hedberg joke, you know, uh, uh, prices and participation may vary. You can't be the McDonald's that sells blankets and spaghetti. Although, I mean, to a certain extent, if there's one thing Trump has done, it's, it's showing that things can be changed radically. It may not be for the better. Yeah. But but actions can be taken that are are mm-hmm. drastically off course from where uh-huh. you were at previously, right? Like the problem that we're facing now is, or one of the problems that we're facing now is, you know, the extreme protectionism. Yes, and this idea that we can we can at the snap of our fingers reshore decades of offshoring manufacturing to China and Vietnam and various other third world, not third world, uh, other countries with different people that we were willing to exploit for our cheap consumer goods because we're no longer citizens, we're consumers. Yes, and, and let's call that consumerism what it is. It's a slave trade. Correct. And we were happy off of slave to labor. go along with it and keep our eyes shut as long as we were benefiting from it. We mm-hmm. being the poors, right? The, poor, the, mm-hmm. the lower 80% of the population, not in the power, not in control, not having dinner with lobbyists or, or corporate 500 CEOs yeah, or, or having our, you know, fun times at the beach at the, the billionaires, uh, uh, third home. Yes. Enough people were being paid off enough to allow society to kind of just continue with this illusion that it was sort of fair and that anybody sort of to the moat for the most part, had a shot of being successful. And now there was an equality of opportunity, they might refer to it as. Exactly. Even though it wasn't. No. Well, and as long as the red the redneck could feel better than the black guy, mm-hmm. he was happy. Yeah. 
it was a status issue. He still had a status in his mind above someone else. Mm -hmm. Think of the term po "po white trash." That <laughs> they have to have to differentiate the white part. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Is that is that supposed to make you yourself feel better, or for others to make them feel worse? It's like, well, at least I'm, you know, I'm trash. I'm Paul. At least I'm, I'm white not. trash. You know, right. <laughs> or or is it or is it the opposite? They're like, they're even though they're white, they're still trash. It depends which station the person referring to them is from. Uh huh. Yeah, definitely. But well, that's the problem, right? We we have we have uh, not enough flatness in in the social structure, and not that there has ever been, right? Yeah. But it seemed like we were moving towards a greater equality in a, in a different sense than one mandated by Soviet communism, mm -hmm. right? Which created yeah. its own uh, real, har harsh, horrible realities mm -hmm. that are some, almost somewhat of an inverse mirror to our American system. Yeah. Well, fundamentally, it was just because shit sucked. Like, the reason why... We won the Cold War as well. I mean, you could say, oh, Reagan outspent them, <laughs> you know, but on, on nuclear arms, you could say Reagan outspent them on arms buildup. And so that's why we won. Or you could just say we had better shit. Coca-Cola tastes good. Rock and roll is cool. Well, Coca what did we win? You're sick. Soviet shit, you know, they didn't even like their own shit <laughs> enough to. But, but, but what did we win? Right. Because for the the regular American worker, their we didn't wages, win anything. Their wages have stagnated since ten years before the Soviet Union collapsed. Yes, this system was able to subjugate just a little bit longer before its implosion, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think we're at the precipice of that implosion. Well, that's what it is. It's subjugation. I mean, that's what this that's what this whole conversation is. That is what this whole conversation is. Will we continue in the 21st century to allow people to live in bondage? Will we allow uh, this uh, international slave trade of using uh, um, uh, labor inhumanely to produce bullshit we don't need? Will we well, allow that to continue or will we so let- how does it, So the question then is how does it continue? Why do we produce so much that we don't need? Yeah. And how do we, take care of one another kindly and make sure that we all have something to eat and a place yes. to rest our heads and community. Well, to answer your question, the reason why we create all this shit we don't need is because there's nothing else to do. We have solved life. We have solved life on the planet earth in terms of the technology. We can build whatever the fuck we want. We can make as much food as we want. We can go wherever we want. We can do whatever we want. We have just not, uh, and yet here uh, we are building walls. Exactly. So but why do we want to build the walls? Because so, it seems innate that, that forts or pushes groups of us to mm -hmm. want to build walls. What is that? Um, well, I think it's to, uh, people say it's to protect what is theirs, but really building walls expresses a fear for the other, a fear for the outside, right? A fear for what could be lurking out there, <laughs> whatever and that people, may be. And people are afraid when there's a sense of insecurity, insecurity of food, or insecurity of shelter, insecurity sure. of status in their 
their community. Think of it this way. When those dumbass fucking pilgrims stumbled onto this, onto this beautiful unsoiled earth filled with beautiful uh, uh, societies and amazing gods and goddesses flying above us and, and coursing through our rivers and our plains. When those fucking white, dumbass, puritanical people stumbled in here and they set up their stupid-ass little villages, what were they afraid of? The darkness in the woods. The other. The thing lurking out there they couldn't see. What was in the woods? Nothing. Some fucking wolves or something or whatever. Now we don't have the darkened wood around our stupid-ass little colony of pilgrims. So we have to have something else lurking out there in our psyche. Maybe it's immigrants. Maybe it's the Chinese. Maybe it's terrorists. <laughs> you know, we cycle through our little uh, uh, um, lineup of usual suspects, who it is we want to blame. Sometimes we even like to pass it back and forth. You know, the right wing says, oh, hey, we hate Russians. Now we'll blame everything on them. <laughs> 56 years later, oh, dust this one off. Pull that one out. Oh, that's a good one. Blame everything on the Russians. We'll take that. So to answer your question, why is it that we still have to be sitting around creating all of this shit we don't need? Because like I said, we've solved all of the problems of the world. If we really wanted to feed everybody and give everyone a little slot of land to, to sit around on, uh, we could do that fairly easily. It'd be fun. It'd be <laughs> delightful. People would sing songs. They'd be filming movies. People would dance. They'd fuck. We'd eat. We'd smoke. It'd be so great. If someone just decided, if enough people who were powerful enough decided, and this is not going to happen, so we're just going to take it from them. They decide, you know what, let's just make this work. Let's just, let's just, you know, it's not even distribution of wealth or redistribution. Let's just make this work. Let's just try to make this planet as fun and cool as possible. But they're not going to do that. So we're just going to have to storm the fucking gates and throw them against the wall. <laughs> you know, <laughs> figuratively. Who, who are they and how do we find them? I don't know. It's anybody who's really not willing to put down their unearned wealth and their unearned power. That's all it is to me. And the thing is, like, you know, I, my, I feel one of my missions in life is to get myself and all those around me as riled up as possible so that at some point in my lifetime, I can see everybody get so pissed off at the inequity in the world that we just fucking storm the gates and just take what is ours, which is the right to have a kick-ass fucking life on this kick-ass fucking planet. And I guess that scares people. Yeah, because it, it's, a, it's a, an unknown future. An yes. unknown future that is just as scary as the woods you spoke of earlier. Of course. But at the end of the day, they're not going to do it. I didn't get that. Oh. Could you try <laughs> oh, she's fucking spying on us. I just, the NSA <laughs> that. Oh, don't, I wouldn't worry about Siri. She's like the retarded version of, uh, of of digital assistant. She really yes. can't do very much. <laughs> uh oh, we said retarded. So um, here's the thing: <laughs> Amelia and I, my wife and I, were talking today about about cancel culture and also herd immunity, and. Uh -huh. I realize we'll we reach a point where we've just reached a uh, herd immunity in terms of cancel culture. We're like, everyone will have said some, some <laughs> retarded shit, you know, and gotten in trouble. 
I realize I keep saying uh, going off the reservation. I'm going off the reservation, <laughs> which I, you know, I rant and rave about how we need to give our land back to the ancestral people who first occupy it. Well, how are you going to give it back if you don't leave their reservation? If I don't leave the reservation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, uh, private equity and how it's ravaging American business like in Goodfellas. So yeah. this podcast you sent me, they were describing, there's a part in Goodfellas where they buy out this restaurant, okay? Correct. And they buy all the stuff for the restaurant on credit. Then they Correct. sell all of that shit sort of on the sly and then get cash for what they bought in credit. They sell it out the back door, you know, 50, 20 cents on the dollar. Exactly. Then they burn the place down. To collect the insurance money. And they collect the insurance. And, and claim bankruptcy. Exactly. And that's sort of what happens when you get these little feudal fiefdoms, these these groups of nobles and knights who group together and they buy, you know, buy a bunch of fucking Toys R Us's <laughs> shares. Right. In Toys, R Us. Toys R Us was like the perfect example of how a private equity firm came in. They stacked debt, debts on top of debts until it's so overloaded with debt that mm -hmm. they don't really have a choice but to go bankrupt, which becomes an inevitability based on the, the cash flows of the company and the amount of debt that they're stacking on it. And they use that debt. What do they use that debt to do? They use that debt to purchase equity or stock in the mm -hmm. company to boost the price up in order to pay back the managers and investors. Yes, that's the who, key. Who have, who have essentially put these, these players in place to, to perform this very job. Yes. And that's what has happened. There's about, according to some of the things I've read, about 20% of the companies that exist on the stock market currently are what they call zombie, zombie companies, where they have they're so dying. much debt weighing them down. Oh, that they're just dead. <laughs> that they're still basically, walking around. Correct. They, they, the, the business isn't really the business that they claim to be. In. The mm -hmm. business that they're in is accumulating this debt and it's it's this Ponzi scheme essentially. Yes, and paying themselves out, paying out, paying themselves uh, bonuses, out, bonuses, uh, uh, inflated salaries, and then when they go bankrupt or if they get fired, then they give themselves these golden parachutes. And the bonuses are inflated because they're based on the stock itself, which yes. is being jacked up by buying the stock with the debt that has been loaded onto the company. Mm -hmm. Because so, the stock is just a reflection of, of you know consumer confidence in the company. So you get these guys, they come in and they say, look at us, we're running this company and we're running it really well. And so that drives the stock price up. And because and, the and, stock price go, is, goes yeah. up, then they can pay themselves out at the end of the year. And Often why, it's stock. Right. And why, why is it that the, the, the Federal Reserve, which is part of this, this larger problem, right? What did they do? A larger the structural Ponzi scheme. Coronavirus hits, right? And every day guy, 300 billion is paid out in $1,200 checks or unemployment. Mm -hmm. One for uh, you. Extra. One for you, two for you. Do you declare together? Doesn't matter, you two. There's an extra 600 billion in, in, in uh, small business loans that are given yeah. out, you know, the actual businesses that make a difference in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. And then through the Fed, Federal Reserve, 1.7 trillion hmm. is given out to the corporations who spent the past 10 years playing this game of taking on more debt, gambling, gambling it on their stock and pushing these prices up over the past 10 years yes. as high as high can be. And what's going to happen 
if the Federal Reserve doesn't expand the amount of money in the system for them to continue the game. It's, it's a game of musical chairs mm-hmm. that Somebody ends, ends up badly with that one. no they matter what, them. because if they keep printing and we have overinflation, the United States will lose its reserve currency status when no one any longer believes that it is a stable currency in which to trade. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a very painful time for the United States of America, no matter what. We're already losing that in terms of domestic policy. Like we, we were lost given, that in terms yeah. of domestic yeah, policy. Yeah, we were we, we were given a place on the world stage, uh, uh, proportionate to the amount of effort and seriousness we brought to being a stable player on the world stage. And the same thing applies in terms of the way we run, we run our internal, our house. And there yeah. just isn't that confidence. It's, it's seriously deteriorating. So, and yeah, I don't, I don't think that we want to, I don't think the rest of the world necessarily trusts us to be the backbone of debt in the world. Well, but that's, that's the other bigger question, right? Why, why is this system of debt the best possible system it's not is it because we not because we do not allow jubilee the end of all debt and the free the freeing of all slaves i keep arguing that's what we need it's what every 33 35 years or whatever no one remembers when the last one was so let's just say it's this year and we get rid of all the debt and we free all the slaves it's a pretty simple fucking solution eventually it happens by itself one would hope uh, well, it, it takes a bit more suffering, I think. Uh, more people will unfortunately starve unnecessarily before they're willing to actually fight for their lives. Yeah, and the question is, are we almost there? You know, seems pretty damn close. You know, fascism rises when uh, your government can't take care of the basic needs you can't feed yourself and there is mass ability to dehumanize another group and we're quickly moving towards that whether it's the people who are the diseased people who have the coronavirus whether whether it's the people who are uh undocumented we are slowly or quickly setting up a a modern um uh, system of classification for people so that we can better other each other so that it's not, it's not even going to be as simple as just, Oh, you're a Jew, you're black or whatever. We'll have all of these very uh, uh, acute tools that we can we have much better databases to classify you into the 19 to 54 range living in a metropolitan area and targetable on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can create all kinds of ca- categories to subjugate people based on their credit, based on their education, based on the amount of debt they have, based on their health, because it all comes back to a gamble. So I always say that the most dangerous, terrifying addiction to me is gambling. Mm. Heroin, alcohol, cigarettes, pot, uh, uh, booze, all of that stuff is horrible. It can relatively quickly, but, but usually slowly, burn away and eat at your life. You know, you can lose those uh, people around you. You can lose the things around you. You can lose your job. You can lose uh, uh, your loved ones. <clears throat> but it doesn't happen overnight. Gambling 
within minutes, seconds, you can destroy your whole life, everyone's life, forever. And essentially, we're letting uh, uh, our entire banking class go all in on a pair of deuces, nothing's wild. And that's I think that's a very apt analogy. And I think if you look at a lot of bankers and traders and even accountants, they fancy themselves poker players. Yes. A lot of them. Like that is the, under, that is the underlying model for the entire system. It's a yeah. winner take all. Texas Hold'em, winner take all. And at the end of the, the game, only one person's going to be holding all the chips. It's the same like the game Monopoly we had as kids, right? And it's basically the basis for our entire system, yeah. which is why it's coming to a close. It's not one person, but it is the 1%, right? The mm -hmm. small percentage of people that are now controlling the majority of the chips. And the chips are going to lose their value because nobody's going to accept them anymore. Yes. Nobody's going to believe that the game is worth playing. And those and are the people that get to play. They, they get to choose to play it. We, by being forced into these insurance scams, if you want to drive to your job, okay, you got to have car insurance, which is gambling. Okay, you want to try to live and take care of your family, you have to have health insurance, which is gambling. With health insurance, you are gambling that your death will be a slow and unpleasant one. <laughs> and, mm. and that's a safe bet. <laughs> so everyone <laughs> makes it. Most people make it. Okay, I'm going to bet that my death will be a slow and painful one. So I better have some fucking insurance so I can uh, inject myself with a little happy juice as my body slowly deteriorates and the world does the same. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, car insurance. I'm going to take the bet that the world is filled with dangerous assholes and I'll probably get crashed into by one of them and possibly die. That's a safe bet. And even though that these are the two safest bets that you can make, that you will die slowly and painfully, and that you'll probably get hit by a car sometime along the way, even though those are the safest bets, the house still fucking wins. And you're stuck with the goddamn deductible. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, insurance is an interesting one. I, I'm not certain it's all bad. No. I, I, I think that the idea of groups of people paying into the general pool to take care right, of each other. To pool the risk to use, you know, finance terms isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because the, the underlying idea behind that is community, right? Yeah. We all take care of each other yes. in our and if times of need. And if your village just works and like the doctors are working at the doctor's office in the hospital because they want to be doctors. Right. But that, and that's what we've them lost. As a community, then we don't have to worry about insurance because like, oh, okay, whomever's building the houses, build a house for the doctor. And whoever's a farmer, give the, give the doctor some food so that when I, as I'm out farming for, the, for everybody, I chop off my fucking toe, then I go to the doctor and he takes care of me because I gave him a... Uh, uh, vegetables or whatever. Right. Is that communist? Vegetables for years. He loves yes, me. He's gonna put my toe back on. And that's like that's capitalism, right? Some ways. Well, no. Know? So I, I think and I think that's the part of the problem we have as Americans. We've been brainwashed, right? Like the the Korean guy who owns the I, don't, I guess I'm being a little racist. The Korean guy who owns the grocery shop on the corner or the corner bodega. Uh, he isn't 
a capitalist. He doesn't own the means of his production. He's a no. merchant. You know, he's trading. He's buying for one. He's selling for two. He's making a living. That's always been a thing that people have done. That's not capitalism. That's trading. That's, that's, that's surviving in any system. Capitalism is this, this debt-fueled mm-hmm. mega corporation, you know, infinite lifespan person that has more rights than a yes. consumer because we're not people we're, we're not the people anymore we're the consumers the people are the corporations that have access mm-hmm. to the funds of the central bank of the 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 state right right that's capitalism and i think that everybody who who gets all up in arms because they've been brainwashed for you know 70 years now that anything that isn't capitalism is 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 communism and it's coming to kill you it's it's Uh, stalin it's literally stalin if you want to share and take care of kids and make sure kids have like healthcare and food you're the same as stalin and you are literally sending people to death camps in siberia did you know that well, think of it this way. Okay, so let's say let's compare. Let's let's talk about when does just trade turn into capitalism. So let's say uh, I, uh, I I churn butter and you harvest wheat. Okay, so uh, you're gonna make some bread and I'm gonna make some butter and then I'll trade you bread for butter. It's great. I don't I don't have the means to make uh, bread. But it becomes capitalism when. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me finish this. Okay. <laughs> yes. So then there's this other guy who doesn't make any of them, he doesn't buy any of them, he starts to take bets on butter futures. He's starting to to take bets on how much butter you're going to... That's financialization. Capitalism is when there's one guy who owns all the butter churners, Ah. and he, owning the means of production, leases them out to everybody else and has a charter from the state that says he's the only person who's allowed to create because of regulation, mm. those butter churners or those plows for the fields. Mm-hmm. And does it matter if it is a state-owned business like it would be in Soviet Russia or a state-subsidized business like Walmart or Google? In my opinion, not really. They're very much no. similar. The only differentiation was, you know, does, do, does the private private it's not really private when there's such a limited number of people who actually have access to it but just the private economy or these mega corporations that actually run the system versus the state owning the enterprises is irrelevant because it's um, still just big sucky shit so if just like some big sucky company the, makes i think there sucky is shit and you have to do a dumb ass job when you work there that just sucks. It doesn't some, matter if like if a company's in charge of it or <laughs> if the if the government's in charge of it yeah yeah, no, that that is true. I think there is some some beneficial aspect that that go that runs amok. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of the efficiency or the uh efficiency is bad. The the you know, th- there's got to be an equilibrium at which there are both good paying jobs, mm-hmm. uh sense of meaning and purpose in the job even if it is for a large corporation whether state owned or private where you know instead of being just this monolithic conglomerate that just sucks the souls out of people if there is some sort of desire or or structure built in to create well-being among all of the stakeholders that i think it it doesn't necessarily matter but the problem Mm -hmm. does become that 
as people gain power, they seem to want to maintain their status and their power and their wealth. And then in order to do that, instead of, you know, innovating or creating new things or figuring out ways to make life better for everybody else, they hoard what they have and try to prevent others from getting what they have. Yeah. And it seems that that's more of walls, 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 of course. And, you know, it, it does seem to be a psychological issue that we have this as species mm-hmm. that seems that we have not we have not surpassed yet with all our technology right like you were saying before that we have all these means to create all the wealth and and not wealth food needs basic needs take care of one another and yet it seems we don't right our technocracy seems to be collapsing in on itself and not just here everywhere we're more interested in creating like a bizarre competitive game in which uh, people have to uh, compete to see who can waste their time in the most lucrative uh, matter manner uh, and um, and go the furthest without getting arrested. And the, <laughs> the preoccupation with that game is the the uh, uh, fundamental product of the American economy, this idea that there is something inherently good in uh, everybody working so hard to create a bunch of shit that we don't need, and then working even harder to uh, uh, have the money to buy it back from ourselves. That that's the illusion, that we don't need any more Dodge Challenger, okay? We don't need more t-shirts for a while. We've got enough. Let's just keep using them or recycling them. The only reason why we are still producing, churning out so much shit is that having a job, a factory, something to do is a way to control people. It's the ultimate expression of time to lean, time to clean. The powers that be are telling us that if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. Whereas we're saying, no motherfucker, you're leaning on us. And we're going to push back. Yeah. I mean, and part of what's interesting about coronavirus is it's given people time to think, think for a second. It. Yeah. I don't know if they're thinking hard enough about it, but they did for a while, right? Like we, we had some, some minor uprising for, for a moment. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it continues. I think, unfortunately, it might because I think things are still getting worse, not better. But I'm 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 a perpetual pessimist. Mm. I'm an optimistic fatalist, which is I'm like <laughs> oh like I mean I'm just gonna assume that everything is going to be as bad as it possibly could, so that anything else is a pleasant surprise. I always assume that the worst will possibly happen. If I'm like, watching so when you were at school and you took a test, you're like I failed it. I'm I gonna failed fail. it. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah. If I'm watching a movie and there's someone I really like and I'm like he's gonna die, he's gonna die, and then if he, <laughs> and if he dies, I'm like. Uh, yep. And then if he lives, I'm very happy. So you make sure to set your expectations as low as possible. Mm-hmm. No, just just appropriately. More often than not, in the course of history, the worst possible thing happens. It's very rare that like something historical is like, that was great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Whether it's the, the fucking flood or World War II. Or this think of something in history that was like a good thing. The only things that are like the good parts of history is just when we achieve some arbitrary bullshit. Like, oh, we're on the moon. Like, well, that just brings us back to the poker game, though. 
you don't remember all your wins. You remember all those great big losses. Yeah, that's true. I love poker. That's the problem. <laughs> for me, I just like wearing sunglasses inside and like and lying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that, that's, that's the other part of the lie, right? So back to the financialization aspect of it. Oh, this, betting on this, uh, butter futures? Faith, yeah, this, so this faith in markets... Yeah. being markets right whatever the hell a market like it's is. some oracle of delphi that you can just go that the market is uh, a virtuous uh, uh and it can solve being. all problems yes right there's no place at all for a democratic choice of of or or, or democratic or political solution anywhere in the system that's the it's only some holy way water that we love to go dip our finger and go, oh, the market, and splash a little bit of on ourselves and pray over, oh, the market, it knows. It'll and it's adjust itself. To be, it's suppo- yeah, it, it finds its own equilibrium. It, it's self-correcting. It's never wrong. It does everything right. And it is the best way to allocate anything. It's all about portfolio allocation and risk reduction. Yeah. Well, it certainly doesn't seem at this moment like it's accurately allocating anything because it is, or the risk is being appropriately uh, uh, mitigated. Well, everything is about speculation now. Like part of yes. that podcast they were talking about Jack Wells and GE, where he realized, well, uh, it makes us a lot more money to be a bank than to produce yes. anything, and well, they sent everything to China, and then they just become a bank, and they gamble. Think of it this way, okay? In order for someone to win. What is the one thing that is required? Somebody else has to lose. Exactly. So Which when is- you're creating vast amounts of wealth, okay, intrinsically, yeah. you are also creating vast amounts of suffering. Yes. Which is, but, so I went to a socialist Zionist camp for two years as a child hmm. in which you weren't <laughs> allowed to win. So you would play a basketball game where there was obviously a winner or a loser. And then at the end of the game, you would all agree to an, a, a delusion, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, that it was a wonderful game and you agreed to what was called the Camp Galil tie. So it was a tie, no matter who won or lost. Meanwhile, someone's betting on Someone was betting on it. <laughs> Some, believe me, someone was counting and betting. So that's the problem. Even if you try to, and that, I mean, that's, that's basically what happened in Soviet Russia, is you know you try to create a system you follow all your marx books and you, you know we we did our homework and we're going to try the the we're going to try to make world socialism happen so we're all going to play this basketball game and everyone's going to share the ball and everyone gets a chance to play and everyone gets a high c afterwards and some fucking orange slices and trail mix and it's all going to be good but meanwhile someone is like is secretly taking bets on the basketball game and is also cutting sweetheart deals on the basketball jerseys to make sure that they get an extra buck. And they're actually stealing the high C off the back of a, uh, a truck that's supposed to go to your, your Korean man who owns the store. So they're also bilking him on the side. That's the problem is that even if you just try to do something as innocent and beautiful as play basketball, there's always going to be those, what did you call them? The monetiz- monetization guys? The capitalization guys? Financialization? The financialization guys. They're always going to be there. Which is why I say, okay, so you know, going back to like just getting people riled up and getting them to, to revolt. Mm-hmm. Um, it is rare that you get a revolutionary who is also 
uh, the right person to lead the country afterwards. And I always say that after a revolution, the most important thing to do is to kill all of the revolutionaries. <laughs> Not necessarily throw them against the wall and shoot them, okay, but get them out of the conversation. The guys and gals that are all, that are all about getting everybody pissed off and riled up, uh, the gate stormers, the first thing you need to do is get rid of them and get the calm people who were sort of sitting by and like, I, you know, I think they might know how to help the world, but everyone's yelling at each other. Pull those people out, give them jobs, and then all the revolutionary guys, you know, uh, I don't know. Stop revolutionizing. Give them a sports bar to run or something. <laughs> I'm smart, Michael. Give me something to do. <laughs> oh, boy. So well, but it also feels like it also feels like whenever there is a revolution, it's not necessarily the guys who are starting fermenting or or continuing it that necessarily wind up no. in charge. Right? I'm like, thinking of your, your Castro kind of situation, yeah. or even with Trump. Like Trump was like this revolutionary figure, and he was like the fucking. There's this swamp. There's this deep state. The uh, the news is fucking bullshitting you. All of these, uh, 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 you know, uh, crazy left-wing people are all just calling each other racist instead of actually dealing with racism. Uh, he created this political revolution and got like this crazy coalition of white supremacists and like I like business people together. Right. And um, the only pro- the only problem with their revolution is once it happened, Trump was in charge. Right, right. <laughs> Which is why Trumpism is such a failure. And it's like, you know, if it, if it wasn't too, if it wasn't so delicious, you'd almost feel bad for the the Steve Bannon people that they I, finally get what they want. And because they got what they want, the guy that gave it to them, because he's the one that that got it, he right. fucks it up. It's beautiful. I, honestly, I honestly had hope at the very beginning of his presidency that maybe I was wrong about him, and he had done this brilliant job of. Riling collecting all these these crazy fucking idiots yeah. together the people who are you know you can't talk reason to or basically completely irrational yeah and he had them all eating out of the palm of his hand and i thought he was going to be able to take them along mm-hmm. and really take them to a much better place which would have been like yeah we're gonna build a wall but it's gonna be all solar panels and mm-hmm. it's gonna be a, a great way to bring jobs to america and make things green and, you know, stop those windmills that are causing all the cancer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's so close to almost being able to be a successful populist. It's frustrating because I see him and, I, you know, I see him as such but a... Even, pig, even with coronavirus, he had this opportunity where he's like, I've been saying that we need to bring all the jobs back to yeah. America. He, he didn't make it about that at all. It was about, oh, the, the Chinese virus and there's another other that we can fight against some yeah. more. It's one of the few, it's one of the, one of the few, it's one of the other very sad parts about the whole rise of Trump is that in some ways he could have, his craziness could have been used, I'm not going to say as a force for good, but uh, could it could have. It could have. Because here's the thing, you go back to like 2004, 2005, whenever The Apprentice came on TV, you know, mid aughts <laughs> like that. You look at NBC's um, uh, demographic data that they did on their programming. And what they found that was really interesting in retrospect is that his favorability numbers among viewers of color were very high. In the pre-Obama days, his favorability was very high among a pretty diverse uh, um, uh, 
grouping of, of American demographics. And a lot of respondents said, you know, that they saw someone as Trump as someone who didn't really look at race as a thing and that he gave people on his show of all kinds of races, all kinds of backgrounds, even people who might not necessarily have gone to the, you know, the best schools or whatever, gave them a chance. Right. And he was seen as this guy who was, you know, truly trying to help people live up to the American dream in some weird way. And his favorabilities were very, were very good. Uh, among a lot of people who he has uh, been really horrible to rhetorically and and in terms of of policy, um, and um, the irony is that he wouldn't have gone down this path, in my opinion, if it had not been for Obama being so loved. It really drove him insane. If you look at Trump, Trump was always a megalomaniac. He was always an asshole. He was always doing all right. this shit. But what really drove him insane is Barack Obama. And it's, you know, the, the look back on this, you know, the people look at the relationship between uh, uh, Nixon and JFK and the way they, they viewed each other as sort of defining of the, the mid-century political American experience. I think even more so, Trumpism was created by uh, uh, Trump's descent into insanity as Obama became um, this rising figure. And he just turned into, I mean, I, I'm sure he was always fucking racist and said racist jokes about the, the Latinx people were from at Mar-a-Lago. And, you know, I'm mm -hmm. sure he was not fucking woke by any regard, <laughs> by any uh, uh, standing. Um, but I think that, his hatred and insanity around Obama really just like drove him down this crazy but, but that, path. That insanity around Obama, it starts before Obama makes fun of him, right? Because he he was oh, the yeah, pretender. It's not him fun of him. It's 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 the the um uh the birther. Had, right. Well he's so but why why does he do the birther thing? I mean he 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 obviously knows he's making it up, right? So this is his first not his first time learning this. I'm sure he knew this from other things, but he knew he could make a thing up, mm -hmm. get people to follow along. Yeah. And it, it's rubbish, but yet he had, I guess, the, you know, the coalition he has now of, of 45 to 50% of the American population. That's like, yeah, he's a Muslim. Uh -huh. He wasn't born in America. Right. And like, and, and why does he do that? Is it just because somebody else seemed to be getting more attention than him? Probably. Right. Yes. Because America is still an idea. <laughs> America is still an idea in dispute. Like I think of, I think of, uh, I think of what America could be great, and it's like a, a bunch of people uh, uh, in different hats and outfits from all over the world, you know, joining hands and, and making a, a world as uh, as good as it can be by working together. Whereas like other people just see as, no, I want people who look like me, who think like me. Um, no, you know, I don't think it was always that, though, even for the people in the middle of America. Right. I, I think that this 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 fear of the other, the fear of the Mexicans or the Chinese or the Iranians or, you know, the whatever group of brown people it is overseas mm -hmm. that we're going to go bomb tomorrow. That I don't think was always the case until you have a lot of people unsure where they're getting their next meal or how they're going to, you know, get through the next day without getting their opium or not opium, uh, their, their codeine or what, whatever drug it is that everybody's addicted to in America now. Mm. Yeah. And life, you know, you could, after World War II, things were definitely on the up and up, right? 
Yeah. Most people felt, isn't it isn't it about the way people feel more than anything else? Yeah. Right? Consumer confidence. That's not a real thing. It's the way people feel. Or, you know, uh, the way the society like the the mood of the society. It's a yes. hard thing to gauge because it's so many different people, but it's when they're in right now. It's, it's a, we're in a bad mood. When we were kids, we were like in a good mood. Like if you look at the like what was your favorite movie when you were a kid? Like what was the one you watched over and over again? Like little little kid, it was Pinocchio. Pinocchio, okay. Like little little kid, I love Pinocchio, which was kind of dark actually. If you think it's hell of dark, but it's it's biblical. You go into the belly of the beast, and and Pinocchio. This is very. I can see how this was formative for you as a kid, because um, Pinocchio was born out of a a a sadness, a longing for for family, for for connection. Uh, but Geppetto never really got that because he was always just wrapped up in his work. And what what was he making? You know, who was it for? We never really see like what Geppetto's purpose in life is. Who who was buying his little tables and drawers and shit? All we know is that he all he wanted was a human connection, someone to take mm-hmm. care of. And all and all, and the only way he knew how to express that was was to build something with his hands. It's this. It's like a a simple, tragic, kind of a uh, uh, a private gesture. And yet, through some sort of crazy magical thinking, it manifests into reality. Well, kind of like God. Like God. And poor Pinocchio, um, in order to become human, he can't just uh, uh, transcend into humanity through positivity. He must literally go into the belly of the beast. And the belly of the beast is, is this uh, uh, dark island filled with temptations. And uh, it's, it's the man. The man wants you smoking cigars. The man wants you, you buying into his little fucking system. But it'll put and you in a cage. It'll put you in a cage. And at the end of the day, most of us get swallowed up into the belly of the beast, my friend. And it's very rare that a hero or a, a person or anyone can pull themselves out and find their destiny. And... Uh, Pinocchio is a, is a very powerful tale. But that, that, that movie came out, what, 1955, 1957? Very, know. very different time. So what, in terms of movies from when we were, that came uh, out when we were kids, though. You're talking like when Bill Clinton was president. Yeah, or 80s or 90s. Yeah, like <laughs> a, a contemporary movie that was like your favorite movie you always wanted to rent or you owned and you watched over. Uh, it's, it's not my favorite movie, but the first thing that came to mind was Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> Just something, you know, formative years that, that really sticks out. Ace Ventura, Pet why. Detective. Not, not a very deep movie. No, uh, but, it's, uh, but, but that whole run of Jim Carrey <laughs> movies. What, that was it, a start. That was a start, there right? There was a childish fun about yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, I think that the, like, the kind of humor that we saw in those, those movies that he did, it's funny because that's sort of been uh, democratized that like there's sort of a million little Jim Carrey's out there you know what I mean doing all their funny little skits and stuff online and, and all this kind of all this kind of shit um, but yeah I don't know maybe that was a dumb question but yeah I just I remember yeah, things it's not were, a dumb question I didn't have a good answer <laughs> things were fun like you know clueless and whatever I'm sure things are fun too and I don't want to be one of those like uh, you know uh, things were better when we were kids make America 80s again <laughs> but uh <laughs> I don't know. It seems like uh, seems like pr- shit was uh, was not this depressing when we were we were kids. 
No, it was a, so everything seems so far away from us as sort of like white, educated Jew professional people. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, there's suffering in the world. There's suffering in the Middle East. There's suffering in South America. But it was a fucking commercial that we would see 30 seconds at a time. We did not really see what real bondage and real suffering was. And now um, it's becoming hard to ignore for people like us who have had pretty, pretty good. Well, and that's also due to the technology. I think that's, that's something that we ignore, right? We think that we, we discussed a little bit, but we think that everything's like politics or, or just, you know, uh, society and how we interact with each other. But mm-hmm. the technology is an important aspect of it, I think. Uh, I think a lot of these problems we're currently facing are more based in technology than anything else or our inability to cope with our, our new yeah. technologies. Like yes. the internet is so fucking new. It's, it, and they're just profiteering off of our anxiety. What is the, well, but the, so that's the problem though, right? It's then that's one of the things that in that podcast, Rushkoff always talks about it's, yeah. it's, he he was like this great he he was pushing the internet he thought it was going to be amazing for for our society and everybody would have these opportunities to do things that they never had before because everybody would have access yeah instead it was co-opted by the economic system that was in place which was the capitalism this predatory capitalism that swallowed it up and ate it alive and even if you look at google right one of the first people they had on board was the guy named Hal Varian, who was an economist, who was basically guiding the growth of the company based on neoclassical economics. That's what he specialized in at Stanford. And it, in order to be profitable in this world and the system that it was becoming a part of, had to take that form. So let's ask the, let's ask the real question mm-hmm. at the core of all of this. And it's the question that we need to answer uh, in order to save humanity. And the question is, how do we destroy these entities? How do we just, it's not like, oh, how do we survive? No, it's not how we survive with Amazon and Google and Facebook. How do we either destroy them completely? Like we destroyed the fucking Confederacy or how well, do that's we the thing, though. We them didn't destroy the point that they serve to us. They serve. Yeah, well, you're right. I we mean. didn't destroy the Confederacy. And I, I, is 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 it a question of complete and utter destruction? Like, even if we look at our our Silicon Valley and tech people, what do they always talk about? The creative destruction, as though the destruction itself is 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 valuable. And that's what war is, right? It's like a rapid change. It's a rapid destruction of things that yeah. perhaps something else can grow in its place. You learn how to make better cars because you you need to make better cars to run over people faster and then once you're done running over everybody <laughs> with less gas with less gas now let's sell them they're called jeeps <laughs> i am hummer and we'll turn into i mean i I love i love jeeps and i would buy a jeep if it wasn't such like a <laughs> lifestyle like did you have to pay more for a shitty dangerous vehicle but it's a perfect <laughs> example so you know uh, uh, ford which doesn't own the rights to make jeeps they they were making you know thousands of thousands of jeeps or jimmy vehicles whatever they were called during world war ii there were these you know little trucks to drive around general shit yeah but it was like more yeah it was more for like sort of maneuvering personnel around the battlefield it wasn't in it right it wasn't itself a like it was a war golf cart exactly it was yeah to drive the patents around right but then after the war there was a a a bunch of them laying around so they, they sold those and then there was also just like the patent 
for making those uh, uh, vehicles and Ford didn't own it. So Ford wasn't making them um, even though they made a bunch dur during the war. So it turns out like, you know, um, here, so this is a perfect example of what America is all about. We, we, we um, make a bunch of these cars because we need it to win our war. We win the war and then afterwards we start selling the cars, but then the cars become popular and then it becomes this brand, this lifestyle brand. And then you have to pay more to basically get like a, um, a military surplus vehicle bucks, that has yeah. nice upholstery and integration, <laughs> Bluetooth integration with your iPhone ecosystem. That is and it costs forty thousand dollars. That's ridiculous. So it's like we go out and we fight these wars, and then we fetishize well, and how our do you, own participation. And how do you how do you how do you participate and buy that? You get you get a loan. You take you, t you buy course. it on credit, and your your credit, <laughs> it's your debt. It's somebody else's credit. Uh, that's that is how the system expands, right? You need more shit. You need to get there's so many more debt out there. There's no reason, like, instead of making, instead of making Jeeps, we should be teaching people how to fix up old Jeeps. That's what I love. I love using military surplus shit because to me, it's like, it's like taking the, it's like, uh, there was some vicious beast, some vicious, vicious, uh, 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 ocean type, um, crab that had this crazy shell. And then that creature, uh, was destroyed, but then a bunch of other little peaceful creatures came and lived in inside its shell. <laughs> It's yeah. like we have all of this garbage that we've made. All of this. We need more. Shit. Yeah. So we need a little bit more biomimicry. We need to create more of a yes. ecology than an e e more of an ecology than a, an economy. Yes. Well, like my it's my favorite part of those stupid new Star Wars movies is in the first of the new Star Wars, where they show where the girl, the little girl Ray, is living, and she's living inside a giant Star Wars walker, a giant Adat walker. So that's what I'm, it's like, not only should we not be making crap because we're raping our planet, but we all, we are, we also have all of this crap that we have laying around from all of the raping and killing of the people on the planet that like, let's just use this. But instead we just give it to police departments and then teach them how to brutalize their own citizens. So we can set up a turnkey dictatorship. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm going to get some water. <laughs> okay. 